Well, let's take our Bibles and let's get set for week five in our series, Living Proof, the Fruit of the Spirit and the Kingdom of God. In all of our locations, let's get our eyes fixed on the text of Galatians chapter five. You know, that's where we are rooting this series and specifically verses 22 and 23. So turn there in your copy of God's Word. It is the Word that does the work. As you're turning there, just a brief update for you about why I'm not with you live this morning. I want to thank you for your graciousness in this. Uh, just a little while ago, a few days, maybe a week or so ago, as some of you know, one of our former pastors, Carlos Jerez, his daughter passed away after a bout with cancer. When I heard the news, I did sense I just needed to be at the funeral, wanted to be there. You know, Carlos uh, got his restart in ministry here at First Family. Uh, he was also one of our first planters, uh, the first pastor of First Family Bondurant. And so I asked the elders, hey, um, I'm going to try to get back in time for our services Sunday, but I really want to be at the funeral. I'm really grateful they agreed. And so we tried our best to figure out how to get back here by service time. When we realized we couldn't, um, I did not want to miss an opportunity to bring the introduction to Dale's message. And so... I just said, hey, let me record it. And so that's what we're doing this morning. That's why I'm not with you live. But I'm so thankful I can still bring a brief introduction to what is now week five in this series on the fruit of the Spirit living proof. So your Bibles are open, right? We're in the home stretch of this seven-week series. And it'd be good to remind you of the question uh, that spurred this series initially. It was this question. What could FFC look like if the Holy Spirit of God produced His fruit in all of us in an increasing way in 2024? As we thought about that question several months before 2024, it got us thinking about this text. And so we have been diving into these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, looking at it, praying each week for God the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. After all, the fruit of the Spirit is first about the Spirit, second about the fruit. We've been seeing that every single week. Now, as we say each week also, our elders have been co-teaching this, leading us through these aspects of the Spirit's fruit. And so each week, either I or Travis are bringing somewhat of an introduction, and then one of our elders unpacks a bit more from the scriptures, the aspects of the Spirit's fruit that we're focused on for that week. This week, in just a moment, Pastor Dale will be sharing some insight about goodness and faithfulness. Those are the two aspects in view this week. Now, as a way to get our minds thinking in this direction, consider this verse from the Old Testament that merges these same two words. They connect these same two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Psalm 37, 3. Did you, did you see the words in that verse? Same words, same concepts as in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me read it for you again. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In church, even a simple reading shows us there's a connection between these aspects, even beyond Galatians 5. Throughout Scripture, we see the idea of trusting, of faithfulness, of doing good. They're connected. They're linked. 
And so the Bible's consistency and unity is truly a stirring thing to watch, isn't it? We love it. It weighs on us and leans in on us. And so today we're going to see how these words connect and give us um, further insight into how the Spirit bears fruit in our life. So with that verse igniting these two words especially, let's see these two now in our main target text, the one we've been going to for five weeks that lists the fruit of the Spirit. Here's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Pastor Dale? Well, I am thankful for technology that we have today to broadcast live over in Carlisle, um, over in Guttenberg, and also uh, to just use this technology. And we have a great staff here that put this video together that allows our pastor to help introduce this uh, week five of this series of the Fruit of the Spirit, but also simultaneously be there for Pastor Carlos and the Jerez family over in California. Um, I remember uh, when Carlos was here, a lot of you guys don't know him, but he was, I mean, he was one of the pastors here. He was my pastor. Um, he, has, he was actually here for me um, years ago, and he, he spent some time with me to do one-on-one -on -one discipling for a lengthy period of time. Prior to that, shortly prior to that, I had what one might call a faith crisis. Uh, I remember calling Pastor Todd and saying, I need to meet with you. Uh, this is over, well over 10 years ago now. And so he said, well, we're at a restaurant. Pastor Carlos is here. Is it okay? One of the, another elder is here. His name was Tony. And I said, okay. And so I, I went to the restaurant and I said, I don't know what to do. I, I feel like my faith has left me. What do I do? And how, how do I how do I grapple with this? I was just struggling with a lot of doubt, a lot of fear, anxiety, those types of things. And, and I remember Pastor Carlos, he, he was so wise. He actually, he, this is what he said. He, he leaned in, he looked at me and he said, that stinks, I'm going to pray for you. Right? <laughs> and I was like, okay, that, that's it. Okay. Uh, what do I do? What do I do? And so he said, well, you need to pray, right? What do we say about prayer here? Prayer is the what? The first and best action, right? I said, okay. And then he said, are you reading the Bible? No. Maybe you should read the Bible. Like, okay, well, what do we say about God's word? It is the word that does the work, right? And so those were really the things that they gave me to do. And so they said other things too, but that's all I remembered. And so uh, they, uh, uh, I just, like, God is faithful. And Jesus showed up. Over the next few months, that happened. Started meeting with Carlos, and he discipled me. And he helped. God used him to build a uh, a base, a foundation for me that's in God's word and not on other things. Um, that was our pastor here. That was Pastor Carlos, the Jerez family. Pray for them. They are grieving right now. Uh, their daughter Hannah. Hannah was a part of this church too. Um, they're grieving over the, over the loss of their daughter. Uh, but also, if you hear their testimony, you will also hear the story of redemption. God has sealed his promise of redemption on her heart. That's a, that's a fact. They know this, we know this, and we praise the Lord for that. So they grieve, but they also rejoice at the same time. So keep them in prayer. This is, uh, this is day one after the funeral for them. Um, 
So now that you got to get to know me a little bit, I suppose I should probably introduce myself for those of you that don't know me. But um, my name is Dale Height, and, I, and uh, I've been serving as an elder here since 2019. Um, my wife Heidi, you guys actually might know my wife a little bit better. Uh, she's a little bit more visible. She's on staff here. Um, she works uh, in the children's ministry. I got three boys, Jacob, Caleb, and Eli, age 18, 17, and 14, actually. Just, they, we have two birthdays this month, so that's kind of cool. But um, we've been married for over 20 years, and um, we've, we've been coming to First Family um, since 2008. And so it's been, it's, been, it's been a few years, and it's been a joy and pleasure uh, to serve in various ways and also serve as one of your, one of your pastors. Um, as Pastor Todd said, we're going to be going over and learning about bo what both goodness and faithfulness are and some of those concepts that we can take a hold of. Uh, we're going to go over the passage that helps us understand this fruit a little better. Um, we'll have a take-home truth. We'll have some practical application. And then we'll finish up with some Q&A. So pray for me on that one. I'm going to be by myself up here for that. But um, I think there's a phone number up here that you might, we're going to be able to, yeah. So if you see that, text a question in, um, and then we'll, 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 we'll try to tackle maybe at least one of them or something. So uh, that sound good? Awesome. Um, I'd like to start by taking you through Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, take Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. That's going to help explain what goodness and faithfulness is. Because as we've explained through the past several weeks, um, Galatians doesn't really explain what the fruit of the Spirit is. It just lists them. So there's no context. So we have to uh, pull it from something else and say, hey, here's where this, this is something that we can do. So the parable of the talents gives us some really good insight on that, on what goodness or being good is, or what faithfulness and being faithful is. So some of you are... Probably many of you are probably uh, familiar with this parable, but for those of us that are not, we're going to go through this passage all together. And uh, this passage uses the actual same Greek words that translate into goodness. Now, there, there's, there's actually several different words. Uh, uh, there, there's a few words that is translated into English as good. So we'll go over a little bit of that. But as I was praying and working through this passage, um, I just really felt the Lord give me some good insight and use this passage in context. And so just keep in mind, this is not uh, a sermon about the parable of the talents. This is about goodness and faithfulness. So there's going to be some things you might hear that aren't really addressed, and that's because we're focusing on those two things. So the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, verses, start, starting in verse 14. For it, now it being the kingdom of heaven, that's what Jesus is talking about. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. 
The man with two talents also approached and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this parable, we have two servants that are commended as good and faithful. And I want to kind of dive in a little bit and take a look at that. Um, so let's take a look at the meaning of the word good in the Greek. And like I said, I actually don't know Greek, but there's lots of tools that we have, resources available that kind of, uh, you know, Bible dictionaries and scholars that translate directly from the Greek that can kind of explain some things. And so here's what, here's what I want you to know about the word good when it's translated into English. Um, there's actually one word that's used often in the Bible that is translated as good, but it's not the word that's here. And so I want to talk about that first. That's the Greek word kalos. It means beautiful or handsome. It can describe some inanimate objects. You might, you might look at a landscape and say, this, this is a good landscape. This is a good-looking landscape. Um, I might look at my wife and say, she's really good-looking, right? That's, that's kind of what uh, this word is used for. Something external uh, ascribed the physical appearance, Okay, that's not what the word is. That's not what this word is. The word here in Matthew and in also in Galatians is from the root, the root word agathos. That signifies a, it's, it's, it's an internal thing. It's a moral quality, an element of ideal character. So for the fruit of the spirit, it's, it's the Holy Spirit producing, let's say, right motives within us in our actions. So you see the difference. You see the difference between those two, right? You have an external thing, something looks good, versus an internal moral quality. That's what we're talking about here. So, this is a definition um, that we can use for the word goodness in this in this uh, in this passage. Um, goodness is an internal moral character, right motives. That's what goodness is. So it's not about what what we see, but it's about the internal moral moral character. What God that God uses and changes in you. So for faithfulness or faith, that's the Greek root word, uh, pistis, which signifies what can be believed, uh, a state of certainty uh, with regard to that belief. Uh, you could even like similarly say that this is like a continuing belief or trust or enduring faith or persevering faith. That's what we're talking about here when it comes to faithfulness. So the definition for faithfulness is on the screen here. Endure, uh, faithfulness is enduring trust and confidence in God. There's something ongoing about it. Enduring trust and confidence in God. You could actually, I want to give you a phrase that kind of helps tie goodness and faithfulness together. And this phrase would be this. 
You have right motives over the long haul. So you obey, you do good deeds, but you do it for the right reasons and not, say, selfish ambitions or hidden agendas, those kinds of things. That's what happens when the Spirit produces goodness and faithfulness in us. So you see how, like, both goodness and faithfulness, they both have internal aspects to it. For goodness, it's an internal moral character change that would be right motives. And then for faithfulness, it's your internal continued trust and confidence in God. That would be the long haul. Right motives over the long haul. You are enduring. You are persevering. So what does that look like in our lives? What does the right motive over the long haul look like, let's say, say personally or corporately? How can we apply this maybe practically in the church, right? So I'll give you an example of this. Um, maybe this is maybe personal or maybe, uh, well, it's personal and corporate, but uh, your home, like individually, maybe your home or the Christian home, that should be a microcosm or reflection of the local church, which is us, the body of Christ, right? And the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. Um, together, those things, the family, the church, that's a spiritual laboratory that kind of cooks or creates this goodness and faithfulness in us, where we, we have a place where we research, we train, we equip, we produce, we launch our families out for God's kingdom expansion. I'll put this in more familiar terms, right? This is our mission statement. So this laboratory that we have that makes these right motives over the long haul, it develops devoted followers of Jesus Christ who celebrate, grow, and serve for the glory of God, right? We've heard that many, many times over the years here. Um, so right motives over the long haul, but how does that apply with goodness and faithfulness? Those two things, I wanna I want take you back to the text and show you how this comes about. Um, there are at least two elements that are necessary in this lab that God uses to produce the internal moral character of goodness and the internal placement of faith that fuels our outflow of obedience. And the reason I want to highlight these two elements is because we tend to short-circuit some of these. We, we tend to short-circuit them or discount their importance. So those two elements are time, having time, and a submissive heart. And those are two elements, but really they're kind of, not kind of, they are woven together in the Christian heart. So they are explicitly tied together. Um, in the parable of the talents, if you look at verse 14, it says the master was planning on going on a long journey. So there's some time there. And then he gives instruction to his servants. Verse, verse, verse 15, he leaves. While he's gone, so there's, again, there's that time thing, the first two servants start to get to work. So there's some expectations that the master sets. They start working, and there's a submissive heart in that work, and they start producing. And they, the first two servants end up doubling the number of talents given to them. In verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So you have that, that spirit of obedience and submissive faithfulness in play, a submissive attitude in their following of instruction. And so here's where the text can connect goodness and faithfulness. In verse 21 and 23, the first two servants hear the same commendation from the master. He commends them for their right motives 
over the long haul. He says, well done. This is, this is their obedience. And then he uses these two words. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful. That would be the right motives over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. There's your long haul. You see how that connects? You see how that connects with the long haul, uh, right motives, obedience through this faith. As I was writing this sermon, I really felt the Lord just leading me to contemplate these two elements, having time and a submissive heart. Right? I started thinking about just how long my family's been coming here. We've been coming here for a while. Uh, we know a lot of you guys here. Um, you guys have been coming here. A lot of us have been coming here longer than us. Uh, we've been coming just since 2008. Um, we've experienced just several consecutive seasons of life here. Many of us have experienced the same things. Different stages, seasons of life, seasons of death, seasons of joy, seasons of pain, seasons of uh, spiritual growth. You know, we're living life through this thing, and nobody guarantees what tomorrow brings. We don't know the future, but here's where, here's where just this long haul of faithfulness comes in. Like, we don't know the future, but we do know the one that owns the future. We don't know, uh, we might want to be getting out of our circumstances, or we might be surprised by our circumstances, but God's not surprised. He's never surprised by the situation that we're in. Um, it's not to get, it's, we serve the one that's, that owns all these things. And, and, we, and we serve him not to get out of these unwanted situations, but because he owns the situation and he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the roots that are grown here at our church. It's over a long time. My family, many of us here, through all circumstances, we are faithfully walking with him. And we're not doing, perf doing it perfectly, but we're faithfully walking with him. We are enduring with him, and our motivation is in him and him alone. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm trying to say when I say uh, the right motives over the long haul. There's something spiritually healthy about rooting yourself inside of a local church under several consecutive years, several consecutive seasons of life seasons of, and seasons of church life. Like you get to know your pastors and uh, you get to know the people here. And actually probably for, for personally for yourself, most importantly, you become known as well. Like, there's a level of friendship, discipleship, camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood, embraced embraced accountability that cannot be manufactured in the short term. If you know your church leadership, you know their imperfections, their strengths, like there's something spiritually healthy about that, about falling underneath that and listening. And I mean, really listening long-term underneath God's word. Pastor Todd put it like this once. Um, he said, this is long-term submission under God's word, faithfully submitting to God and what he says in his word. If you look back, if you think back to what I said at the beginning of this thing, I had, I had what, what some might call a faith crisis. I didn't have a faith problem. I had a submission problem. That was my problem. I didn't like what the word of God said. 
I didn't want to follow it. I wanted to interpret this the way I wanted to and then do it and do it that way. That was my problem. I did not want to listen. <laughs> um, his patience, their patience with me, building that foundation that's actually in God's word, where, you, where I looked at God's word and I'm reading it and I'm going, I don't like what that says. I don't even understand what that says. But God said it. I am going to follow that. Right? That's what Jesus, that when Jesus said, follow me, you follow him. You don't do it your own way. You don't interpret and take this piece or that piece and you run. Like, you listen to God's word. You listen to the heralds of it. And you also be the heralds of it. And when you do that and you live in a local church community that unconditionally loves you, that's what this is. That's, that's my experience here. They unconditionally love you, but they do it imperfectly. They're not perfect at it. They, they, they might lie. They might do something wrong that hurts you, but they unconditionally love you. And you don't have to doubt that even when they hurt you because you know them and you are known by them. That kind of laboratory only comes with time and a submissive heart. The only way that occurs is that. So what do you do about that, right? You plant roots here. You, uh, you get involved. You serve. You get involved in small group. You uh, get involved in the ministry. You've got marriage ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, kids ministry, youth group, all these things. Like, this is the lab that we have that produces God's people for his kingdom and his kingdom expansion. God is faithful and produces fruit in you by his Holy Spirit, and you will see that grow, develop, and mature by his power. This is our take-home truth. If I could wrap this up in one sentence. Goodness, why don't we read this together, church? Goodness and faithfulness. Rightly motivated obedience over a long period of time. That's what this is. You see that growing, developing, maturing faithfulness that endures through life, that endures through and, and perseveres through trials. Let me give you an example of this. Um, and a, kind of a picture of this would be maybe when you see a couple get married, right? You see a, a young couple get married. They say... Um, you know, you, you could look at that and say, these two people have committed to be faithful to each other, right? They made this commitment to be faithful. But you could also say that, these, that this uh, husband and wife is faithful to each other, right? You wouldn't say they're just committed. They actually are faithful to each other. But if you look at a, if you look at a husband and wife that's been married for 50 years, and you look back at their life and you see... Uh, you see a lifetime of togetherness, a lifetime of faithfulness through thick and thin, through valleys, through high mountains, through the pain, through forgiving each other when they hurt each other. Like they're staying through it all. That's when you have a maturing faithfulness that lasts for the long haul. Good works and faithful living, rightly motivated obedience over the long haul, has everything to do with the matter of your heart has nothing to do, it has, it has, it is not about your external actions in obedience. This is why we would still say a marriage is broken, even if they are still married, but they are emotionally divorced. 
we would say this is not working. There's something going on. There's, there's, they might have the right intentions, but over the long haul, their obedience does not endure. Maybe they don't have the right intentions. Like, so this is a question that I ask myself. I actually, I need to address this in my heart uh, all the time. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask myself. Where do your motives come from? Are they right? Do you have hidden agendas woven in your good works? Like if your hidden agenda is about your external appearance, if it's about what you look like, making sure you look good, you might find yourself acting out in ways that actually sever or separate your right motives with faithful living. Like for example, we might, we might use our mouth to bless our friends and pray for them, but then we curse our enemies. You know, and I, I think some of us can think of some verses that, that uh, say that that's just not right. Matthew 5 says, love your enemies. James 3 uh, verse 10 says, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Or do you make commitments on how it will benefit you? and your goals or how it will, or do you make those commitments based on how it would glorify God? Does your relationship with God seem to be transactional? Like you need to uh, do some penance or you need to um, earn some points for, uh, you know, in heaven outdoing the right or outdoing, outdoing the wrong that you've done in your life. I had a coworker years ago that, uh, that saw God in this way. He said that thing. He, he said that he had to do more and more good so that he could outweigh the bad, and hopefully it outweighs. And then when he, gets, when he dies, he can stand before God, and he'll weigh the scales, right? Um, and he felt he needed to do a lot of good that outweighed his bad. Man, what a, what a terrible burden. Like, what a, what a weight on your shoulders. And I saw that as an opportunity, and I, I, I tried to gently talk to him about the gospel. And I, and I shared the gospel. I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, I said, you know, and... I pulled in Ephesians chapter 2 and said, it's not about what we do. It's about what God has done in our lives. It's about Jesus Christ. He came and died. His work is finished on the cross. And uh, long story short, he nodded his head, agreed with everything I said, and said, but just in case, I'm going to do all these things just in case, you know. So I said, okay, you know, we pray for him. And I, I still pray for him. I haven't seen him for well, a really long time now, but I think of him from time to time because that was, he was just so bent on... Um, doing that and just working as hard as he could, white-knuckling his way through his whole life. Um, we serve a God that doesn't require that. He's, he actually has done the work for us. He's the, Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross has finished it for us. And so it is a free gift. And so we boast not by our works, but by what he has done in us. So Hosea... Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Now, this addresses the connection of needing the right motives in obedience. Verse 6 says this. It says, For I desire faithful love and sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. It's not about what we're doing to please God. It's about our heart, and God generates that action in us. Your salvation, uh, your, your good works is not because salvation is not to save yourself, but your, since your salvation is secured, um, though, that is what generates the good works, not the other way around. So maybe you're thinking of some things. Maybe 
as I spoke here, you, some of those things came to mind um, that you need to address before the Lord. And I, I urge you to not push that aside, but address it. Take that before Jesus. Take that before the Lord and address it in him. So with all those thoughts working in your heart, massaging it and just uh, maybe the Lord's convicting you. When I, when I was working through this, this was really convicting in myself. Um, I'd like to see if we, we do have a few minutes for Q&A. So uh, I think we had that number up there. If you could post it again. Um, if, you have, if you have a question, text it in. I do have one prepped question. And then after that, um, if we have, uh, maybe we'll, we'll just have maybe one more question and then, and then, uh, and then the rest can go to the podcast, uh, the extra point podcast. But, um, so what's like, if you want to list the, the first question, that'd be great. So do mo- so this question is, I can barely read that. Um, do motives matter that much if the end result is still beneficial and helps people? That's a really good, that's a good question. That was a question that was, uh, it was emailed to me by Todd as we were trying to discuss maybe maybe one one prep question. He emailed that I think yesterday or two days ago. And um, so a verse that comes to mind would be First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse one through three. I was talking about doing good things apart from love, and I, I think this, this this still applies, and and it can be the same as internal. Um, I think this this can be the same as your internal right motives. Right? It says that. Without right motives, you can gain, like, not only do you gain nothing, but it also says, if you don't have these right motives, you are nothing. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a piece of this where it's like, you have to have the right motives in order to obey. Like, you, you can do good things, but it doesn't matter if, if you're internally, you're, you have a hidden or selfish agenda. That's what God sees. Um, Romans 8 it says, any motivation that originates in our sinful flesh does not please God. First Peter also says, selfish motivations can hinder our prayers. God is the one that evaluates the condition of our heart. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, be careful not to practice righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Really, what he's saying is your reward is man's praise. That's what you get. So here's the point. Wrong motives negate even the best intentions. If good, uh, the good works might help people and benefit others, but God is not impressed. So I hope that's helpful. Do we have any other questions? We got one more? Okay. Oh boy, let's go. Um, Hebrews 11.16 talks about several individuals that desire a better country that is a heavenly one, okay? How has, an ec- what is that? How has an eternal view on heaven helped you through a difficult time in life to remain faithful? Wow, okay. Um, how can we keep our focus on heaven in difficult times? Hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so... Okay, I'll just say the first verse that comes to mind. Um, James, oh, what's the exact verse? I think it's chapter two. Find it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think that, that really helps me give, get an eternal perspective, especially when I'm going through something that's just very, very difficult. The Bible says, find joy in that because at the end of the road, this is good. God's going to use this. God's going to work this out in your life. Like, I don't know how that works when you're in and how you, how you actually find joy in that, because that's difficult to do. But um, that's the verse that comes to mind when I say, okay, this is really, really hard. I need to find joy in that. I should be happy that this is hard. <laughs> well, yeah, because at the end of it, for eternity's sake, this is a good thing. God's maturing you. God is working in you. He's sanctifying you.